Welcome to the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast. I'm Wayne Washington, founder and CEO of Grow Company Profits. We help CEOs stop leaving money on the table while sustaining profitability to fund managed growth. The CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast is basically CEOs helping other CEOs with tips, tools, and techniques to implement company projects or other work activities on time, on target, and on budget. Let's spend the next 30 minutes together with my guest CEO and maybe learn some different tools to put into your CEO toolbox. Welcome listeners to the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast. The CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast is a podcast by CEOs for CEOs seeking to sustain profitability to fund manage growth. I'm Wayne Washington founder and CEO of Grow Company Profits. All of my CEO guests successfully operate companies with annual revenues in excess of $3 million. Today, my guest is Rod McDermott. He's a CEO of a company called McDermott and Bull, an executive search firm. And I'm not going to say a lot about it. I'm going to let Rod do most of talking about what McDermott and Bull is. Rod, it is a pleasure to have you on the, on the show today. Thank you for being here. Hey, Wayne. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Okay. And, you know, how I usually try to get started, you know, I, I, I want to get right to it. And what I usually start to do is, is what is the starter story for McDermott and Bull? You know, how long you guys been around? What was the idea that got you started? Why would you start? Why would you start? Yeah. So, you know, we've been around, gosh, 21 years, over 21 years now. Chris Bull and I worked for a, a top five global search firm out of Chicago. We were here in Southern California back in uh, 2000, and we were being heavily recruited by actually the largest company in the world in our space, as well as a few other companies. And uh, we both had our own businesses in the past, and we were kind of joined at the hip at our old firm. And so one night in December of 2000, um, it was weird. I just had my third child, my wife had, I should say, uh, <laughs> December 4th of that month uh, of that year. And then uh, we just moved into a brand new house two weeks later. So we're at my new house and it's it's me and my wife and Chris and his wife sitting in our dining room. And we're saying, OK, we can stay where we're at. They treat us well. They give us what we need. We can go to this other platform, which is the biggest company globally in our space. And they're really coming after us hard. Or there might be you know, door number three. And what does that look like? And it might be doing our own thing. And so we started going down that road and we got very excited about what we could create ourselves. And so we went forward in January of 2001. Didn't take a lot. Uh, about a month later, we started our business and uh, have been going strong ever since. Ironically, we started in a recession. Uh, we had the tech bubble bursting in 2001, obviously 9-11. Um, so it was a little bit of a hard time. But you know, it was a good time. We, we, we gutted it out and we started building our team and, and we've grown our company ever since. When you, when you think back at that time and, and that decision process where you had some options between three different options, what was, what was the, what was the tipping point that made you decide to go on your own? 
So we had ideas on what we could create in terms of a company and how we thought we might be able to do it differently and better. Um, but more importantly, we also talked about what it is we wanted in our lives. You know, um, you know, in our industry, uh, the the search consultants are are they're the builders, right? They bring in the revenue, they make you know usually some level of co commission off of that. It's it's either a commission or it's very calculated. It's like a, being a partner at a law firm. You know, you can kind of calculate your what your take home is going to be. And you're kind of mercenary, right? And that's okay. And you can live a pretty good life and all that. But, you know, we had a bigger vision. We had a vision that we wanted to live kind of very extraordinary lives and do the same thing for our employees. And so we thought that might be a better platform for us. And uh, uh, so we got really excited about that and what kind of culture we could create. And I will tell you, it's evolved tremendously. I mean, we had some, some big ideas early on and some worked and some didn't. And then we had some some good ideas later. I think the later ideas were actually better than the early ideas. Um, sometimes you have to go through a lot of failure to find success. And, and I feel like failure is the best teacher. And so we failed a lot. And that's, you know, that's, that's a common story. When I talk to my CEO guests, they, they, they fail a lot. And as, as you failed a lot, as you, as you went through the process of trying this, it didn't work. Where did it come? What, what was that tipping point that says we can do this? This will work. Let's just keep on doing it. I mean, was it early on? Was it, I mean, how, how long did it take you to get to that point? So, yeah, Wayne, it was pretty early. I, I'll tell you this, and, and this is a story. Bianca's heard this before. Some of our people in our company have heard this before, but um, not everybody has heard this. We haven't shared it with everybody. But um, we have, uh, Chris and I, when we founded the company, we never put a dime into it. The irony is about two weeks before we started the company, we went to talk to a client, a prospect, I should say. And we just had a meeting uh, scheduled with the guy and we said, hey, we want to let you know we're going to leave our company. We're putting things in place now. And he's like, where are you guys going? Where are you going to office? We don't know. And he walks us down the hall. He had some vacant space. And he said, why don't I rent this space to you? It's 3,000 square feet. We literally could have played a football game in there. I mean, there were two of us, right? <laughs> and uh, and he's like, how are you going to fund your company? We're like, yeah, we don't know. We, we haven't determined how much capital we're going to need to contribute and all that. He goes, you know, I wanted to talk to you guys about one search, but when you guys get started, I want to kick off four with you. And he goes, I'm going to pay you a nice big retainer. And so he gave us this check even before we had a bank account. Wow. And, and we walked into a bank that happened to be in the building that we were at and said, we'd like to open a bank account. And they're like, well, you got to file all these statements with the county to fictitious business. And we didn't even know all this stuff. And so we had to do all that. So the irony is that money got us started. And it wasn't a huge amount of money. It was 32,000 bucks, but it was enough to get going. And um, one time in about four or five, six months, we had um, we had payroll coming up, right? And I told Chris and I said, listen, we're, we're down pretty low on cash right now. So bring in your checkbook tomorrow. We're going to have to have a capital call uh, from the two of us and uh, to make payroll. So we both brought our checkbooks in. And lo and behold, in the mail, we had a $20,000 check from one of our clients that owed us some money and it just showed up and I'm like, wow. And so to this day, I mean, we have literally, we've been around 20 years. We've built hundreds of millions in revenue over that period of time. Uh, you know, as of last year, our firm did about 28 million. Um, so we've never put a dime in the business and not one dime. And it's a weird story. I get a few of our employees know it. I've shared it with a few and some of them say, don't tell anybody that. Because it's, you know, now subsequent businesses I've started, we started our interim leaders business about 10 years ago, and that business will do probably 13 million this year. It cost us a million bucks to make that work, you know, and, right. 
our coaching business, Activate 180, we started three years ago, and that is probably going to be our fastest growing division. It's, I want to tell you a little bit about it. It's a great business. And, and we're now billing regularly. We're at a run rate now of, of close to a million bucks um, a year now. We're billing out at you know 55 a month and ramping pretty quick to about 80, 90 a month in the next month That's or two. Great. That's yeah. Great. And but you know, I put a million and a half of my own money into this thing. So okay. uh, the first one's kind of easy because I didn't have any money <laughs> after that, and it was all sweat. But after that, you know, we 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 sunk some money in. So I would say, though, to answer your question, I mean, we knew early on because we had a client and then we just we always made sure we put our foot on the gas of business development. Right. We had to make sure our foot was on that pedal. And so it was either Chris or it was me, one or the other or both of us. If one of us was busy with searches, the other one would be doing more BD. And as partners, we would sit down every Monday and meet and we would talk about what's in the pipeline. What do we need to close? What's the work in process? When are we going to be out of business? You know, in our business, you're, you never know where your next piece of business is coming from. You never, ever know where it's coming from. It's so weird. Um, and you can kind of rest for 90 days based on what you've got going, because it takes about 90 days to finish your projects. But other than that, you're at 90 days, you're out of business, right? So we always made sure we ran it like a sales organization with pipeline meetings and everything else. You know, when when I'm sitting here listening to you, Rod, it, it it makes it sound like everything was peaches and cream, and all everything was rosy as it went along. And I know that's not true. I mean, I know there were some hurdles. I know there's some hiccups. I mean, you you got to that one hiccup where you almost had to dig in your pocket to to, to fund payroll. But there are other types of hurdles that come up. You know, help bring some reality reality to the discussion. What were some of those hur hurdles and hiccups that you had to shake your head? You you, you worried about, it, but it kept you it, you kept going. Hey Wayne, I, you know the question is where do I start? Um, <laughs> so 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 many right. When we started, we were very Chris and I would go offsite twice a year for two days, and we'd bring up this big white poster paper, and we'd be writing down, okay, we're going to open up in Chicago and Nashville and Atlanta, and you know a search consultant is going to bring in two hundred thousand year one and five hundred thousand, then a million and you know, we're going to, by the time we were done with our two days, we were a hundred million dollar company in the next five years. Right. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> it didn't go that way. You know, it, 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 was, it never does. It was really hard bringing in other people who could sell like we could sell. Um, and we would fail probably four out of five times, okay. literally four out of five. We'd bring in people and one out of five would succeed. And we've gotten better at that over time, but we struggled, you know, and then we built our business. We got to about 6 million in 2007. And then in 2008, the great recession hit in Q4. We also lost one of our big billers in the beginning of that year who went to go work for a, a global firm. So okay. January, he took 1.7 million out of the business. So by rights, we should have dropped down to about 4.3. But what happened is, and this is something that that's kind of interesting, he was, he was a guy who sucked a lot of air out of the room. You know, sometimes you get these big billers that are prima donnas and you can't live with them and you can't live without them, right? Well, I'm here to tell you, live without them. I've had two instances where I've employed big billers like this that were prima donnas. And in both cases, I didn't have the courage to, to pull the trigger myself. And I really wish I had because we were better for it later. This particular person is actually a really good guy but he was a really rough person. He broke a lot of glass and that he operated from fear. 
and just walking around the company, he broke so much glass that it sucked a lot of resources. So what happened in 2008, we thought we were going to drop significantly. He leaves in January of 08. Everybody else got lighter and they grew. Wow. And so, so by Q3, we had built a lot. We ended the year at 5.8. So we didn't drop 1.7 million. We dropped 200,000. And that was only because Q4 of 2008, the world was falling apart. I don't know if you remember, but you know, September, AIG got a big bailout. Fannie and Freddie failed. Lehman Brothers failed. The auto industry failed. I mean, our business just tanked. And so 2009, we went from almost 6 million and eight, 6 million and seven, almost 6 million and eight down to 2.4 million. That was a real, real struggle. And we had to crawl our way back from that. And we had to rebuild the company. And I'll tell you, it was it was a trying moment for us because we rebuilt it differently than we built it the first go around. Now, I'd love to share a little bit of that that with you as well. But that was a big, big challenge for us. I want to I want to touch base on, you know, hopefully we have time to get to that. But if we don't, you know, maybe we could schedule another time to get together. Yeah. When you when you drop down like that, when you look yourself in a mirror and you do your guts, your soul searching, what did you have to do differently? What did you have to do to pull yourself out of that rut right there? I mean, because mentally you had to be going through anguish. And you, I mean, not only look at the economy, look at your family, look at your company. That had to be all negative things against you. How'd you pull out? Yeah, it was it was a really really tough time. It was a tough moment. I remember having conversations with my wife, and I'm like, you know, all the stuff we have and. I don't know if I ever share with you, I'm a pilot and I had a plane and I, okay. you know, she's like, well, you know, maybe you sell the plane and I'm sure you'll own another one someday. And she goes, you know, we, we live in this nice big house and I don't care if we live in an apartment. I just want our family together. And so I had this great support system uh-huh. uh, at home where my wife, you know, she didn't care about things. She just cared about our family being close and connected. And, and she reminded me that, you know, this is all about the journey, right? It's all about life's journey is going to have bumps in the road. And it's about how you respond to them and about how you, how you show up. And so I went from, you know, anguish many, many days to energize and said, okay, all right, who's going to show up. I got this 12 mount, 12 round boxing match with, with Mike Tyson that that's called the economy. Right. Uh-huh. And that's, that's pummeling me in the, in the head. Uh-huh. And how am I going to show up for this, this fight? And, uh, and it really empowered me. And then the other thing was, you know, we don't have investors. We don't have shareholders. At that, that time, we didn't have any outside shareholders, but the two of us. We don't have to do anything crazy. Let's just go out here and play our game and win our game for us and our employees. And so that's what we did. And, and I will say there was very specific things I did when I started managing cash on a day, daily basis. And I still do that now. It's funny. We have a, a decent amount of cash in the bank, but my controller still sends me every night an email with cash in each of our different accounts. Um, that, that's a holdover from the recession because we did that. It's like people that lived through the Great Depression, you know, they had those like depression era habits that they did. This is great recession habits. I still do that. I still look at our AR and our working process to figure out kind of what cash flow is coming in the next 90 days and make sure we're looking at that well. So you know, I want to make sure that our overhead doesn't doesn't tank us. And so I look at those things. But, um, you know, that's how I show up. I just want to make sure that I've got the right plan in place. And usually I like to have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C. Well, you know, and, and, and sitting here listening to you as you discussed it, you, you, you got some advice from your support group. 
but it, it came to some point, it came to a point where you had to look yourself in the mirror, make a decision and say it, I'm going to make this happen. I mean, is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah. And, and it was about activity. It was about, you know, when, when, when business was tanking and the phone wasn't ringing, it's like, okay, everybody get on the phones who can get on the phones. Let's get some meetings. And, you know, in our business in recessions, your current clients buy less or nothing. Future clients are really hard to come by. Uh -huh. And most of your competitors, I remember calling, calling some of the guys I worked at, at, at our old firm. I was still friends with them at the time. And uh, many of them have long since retired, but, you know, in 08, 09, they were still at it. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, there's no business out there. And I'm thinking to myself, there's not no business. There's just a lot less. Okay. And I'm going to go get that. And I love <laughs> the fact that my competitors have this tape that they're playing in their head that says there's no business because that's not true. They're always this business. You know, Apple didn't have a great recession. Google did not have a great recession. Those companies continue to thrive during those times. So you, in our business, you just got to find them, right? Find the ones that are thriving. We had healthcare clients that were thriving. And you know, so- you, 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 It's music to my ears when you say what you say, because you know, the models in my mind are the Googles and the Apples. In other words, they started in the garages, they started small and looked to where they grew. And it's the mindset that they kept the whole way through, the mindset of them and the mindset of their culture. And that's why I'll make a little transition right now. Because you had said something earlier um, before we got on, on, on air about uh, uh, collaboration inclusion, really the inclusion where you open your books up to all your employees. That's a bold step for uh, any CEO to do. And I heard you also talk about you had that prima donna and you were glad he left. I mean, there's a huge change from that prima donna to a culture of inclusion where we're sharing our information. Help us understand that transition and, and why you got to the point where you had to do that. Yeah. So, and, and I'll just say this about the, the, the prima donnas that we all work with here and there, and, and they're not bad people. It's just their style generally takes more than gives. Right. right. And so you generally, those, those are the people that you're, you're, you're cleaning up glass that they broke and people are coming to you and saying, I just had this really bad interaction. And I will tell anybody out there that's listening. Um, my experience is this, the times that I haven't had the courage to do it, I regret. Ultimately they do it themselves. They pull themselves out and it's happened both times. And we're better off for it. And I look back and I said, what do I learn? I've learned this lesson now twice. And I want to be the one who says, hey, here's our norms. Here's how we're going to operate. We're not going to treat people like this. And if we are, I don't care if you bring in 1.7 million or 4 million or what it is, you got to go. We're not going to be the, the place for you. And, you know, the other person that left right before the COVID recession hit, literally, I mean, we had 4 million walk out the door. And I'm telling you what, in that business unit, we are on fire because we replaced that person with some amazing people that have just energized the growth of the entire team. And, you know, that business should grow from, it was 6 million back then. It did seven last year. It'll go to 13 this year. And we're on track for hitting hopefully 20 next year. So couldn't have done that if this other, yeah, thank you. Couldn't have done that if this other person was here. And that's just one of our, our business units. So back to the open book thing, you know, we, um, a number of us went to this conference that it's called the great game of business. And they talk about open book management. And they taught us about this concept of, you know, every employee is a player on the field, right? So imagine you, there's no scoreboard. They can't see the score and how the, how the game is going. Cause you're not letting them know. You're just saying, do your job. Here's your personal scoreboard, but they want to know, well, when does the company win? And, you know, and how can I impact that? And so it's really, you know, it's fairly ironic that most companies don't open their books to their employees 
yet their employees are their teammates on the field. It's just so weird, right? And we did it for years. First started when we made partners back in 2010, 11 timeframe. And, and, um, and they come on board and they started asking questions. And I was a little afraid of transparency for two reasons, Wayne. Uh, I, I'm like probably a lot of CEOs out there. I suffer from what I call red cape syndrome. Hmm. I got red cape syndrome. Okay. okay. I got to be the guy who flies in and saves the day, right? That's my job. I got to be the smartest guy in the room. I got to be the guy who's got the best ideas. I got And I felt that as a CEO of our company that I had to be that person. And we started opening things up and I started talking a little bit less and I started letting other people raise up. And, and, and it turns out they, they weren't offended by the profits we were making. They were empowered by it. And it's like, okay, how do we keep growing? How do we do more? How do we reinvest more of that in the business to make even more? They, they loved it and they brought ideas. And so that was my first experience with uh, some level of transparency. Uh-huh. And then as I, as I started to share with you, I, I, we started selling part of our business to an employee uh, company, employee stock ownership company last year. And so now the employees are essentially shareholders in our business. And so we decided, let's let them know how it's going. And so about a month ago, we had everybody together and we rented out a big conference room and we had, you know, about 60, 70 people. And we went through our entire income statement for 2021 and for Q1 2022. And we showed everybody where they live on that income statement. And we taught them cost of goods sold. We taught them gross profit margin. We taught them selling general administrative expenses and operating profit. We showed them debt and interest and things like this. And it was really empowering for people because now they understand how they can keep score. And it it just, it, it, it dawned on me then. I'm like, why haven't we been doing this for 20 years? It's just so stupid. That, that That's such a perfect analogy because one of the things, and this is somewhat of a side, it's, it's a big thing in my business is keeping score. I mean, if, if you're not keeping score, how do you know, how, how, you know, well, I had a, just a, a, a somewhat of an example. My son, five years old, he was on soccer and I was, I was one of his coaches on the field and they, they, they would say, we're not keeping score. We're just teaching the, we're just teaching the kids how to play soccer. So they know the fundamentals every day there had a score. They knew what the score was as that game went on. So scorekeeping has been a big part of everybody's life going forward. I, I need to get ready to start the, the wind down here a, a, a little bit, uh, Ron. And one question I try to ask my CEOs, and I'd appreciate getting this from you. What makes you a good CEO? (laughs) That's a great question. I don't know that I would say I'm a good CEO. I would say I'm a continuously improving CEO, mostly because I'm committed to it. So, you know, one of the things I shared with you, Chris and I have had an executive coach for 20 years, and and we, we actually started a coaching company about three years ago not the executive level only, which there's a lot of executive coaches out there, but um, really to coach all levels of, of the company. And one of the things we realized is um, our real rocket field in our business is not us at the top of the ship. It's the people that are helping propel our business. Yep. Yet we're not helping them play their best. Our coaches helped us play our best. Why aren't we helping these people? And so we started this new company called Activate 180 that coaches all levels of companies so that everybody can show up and be their best selves when they're on that field playing that game. And, um, and so, you know, that's part of this continuous improvement thing. It's like, well, it's not just for us, it's for everybody. The other thing I think I feel proud of this. I'm not sure it makes me a good CEO, but I feel proud of this. I have a belief that I've, I've adopted probably over the last 10 years 
Um, and it's a Zig Ziglar saying, I'm sure you've heard of Zig Ziglar. Um, you know, he had this one saying, I can have everything I want in life if I just help enough other people get what they want. Uh And, and that really spoke to me and spoke to my heart. And that's been my guiding principle for probably the last 10 years or so. Prior to that, it was like, build, build, build. So we got to get people, we got to, you know, and, and now it's about creating opportunities for people to live great lives. And that's, that's kind of a holistic approach to the whole human being. It's not just, you know, me wanting our people to show up great at work. It's me wanting them to be having their best lives. And if we as a place that they spend most of their waking hours at can help them achieve that, and that's really what our coaching does. And, and when we launched it, we launched it internally at my company. And then I started having friends say, hey, I want that. I want that. And so now we're we're coaching about 350 people and We've got a prospect list that's going to get us probably to like 3,000 people by the end of this year and a lot of companies that are wanting to take it on. And so we keep hiring. We've got 50 coaches. And But what it, what, what's happened is we look at a person holistically through five different pillars and career is only one of those pillars. And if we help that person show up at their best in all these five pillars, health and wellness, relationships, finance, you know, life experiences, things like that and career they're going to show up great at their work at their companies and we can help propel them. So I think my viewpoint on individuals is not just kind of a cog in my wheel, but more of what can I do to help them be their best and live their best lives? That's what I think. I mean, it, I, I, it, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was, I, I was going to say, I don't know if it makes me a good CEO, but it certainly gives me a lot of pleasure to see my people live in their best lives. Well, you know what? I'm I'm not going to qualify. I mean, qualify whether it makes you a good CEO or not good CEO. What it does make you is a complete CEO because you're looking at the complete person, and and you're looking at how do I make that person. You know, I've always been a a believer. If if, yeah, everybody who comes to work has problems at home. They have issues at home. They have things things that are not work related. If I can help them solve their problems or help them achieve their dreams, they in turn are going to help me. So, I mean, it's the same thought you said, help someone else. That's a heck of a philosophy to have. And I'm, I'm glad to hear another CEO has that type of philosophy. Um, I'm quite sure some of the things you just said, there are some people who are going to want to get a hold of you. How can people get a hold of you, Rod? Yeah, so it's easy. My email is McDermott at mbexec.com. I've also got an Activate 180 email, but we can leave it at mbexec. And I'm, I'm an open book. I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Um, as I said, my purpose is, you know, creating opportunities for people to live great lives. If I could leave like like just two or three points too, I'd, I'd love to close with it with a couple of thoughts. You know, one of the things we learned coming out of the Great Recession is that um, we managed everybody so tightly prior to that because there were two of us. Um, it's, uh, it, it didn't give people room to grow. And so coming out of that, we made a conscious effort. We were going to hire more experienced and better leaders. We were going to take the people internally that were really great and, and develop them more, spend more money on developing them and also paying them accordingly. We used to have high turnover because we would pay at the low end of the range. Now we pay at the higher end of the range. And I've got some senior folks that have been with me, you know, more than a dozen years now. And it took a while to to reduce that turnover. But the the big things were move your people up, give them a a, a vision and an objective, and then get out of their way and let them fail. Most of the failures aren't fatal, but they learn from them. And since we've done that, I had a a friend of mine I was having lunch with. He's a local business journal publisher about two years ago. And he's like, you guys are an overnight success after 20 years. It took us... (laughs) 
It took us till 2015 to get back to 6 million. But between 2015 and 2021, we grew from 6 million to 27 million. And that's outstanding. And the reason is we let everybody fly. You know, that's inspiring. I think that's the word that comes to my mind that's inspiring. And you had the perseverance. You stuck to it. You knew you weren't doing some things right. You found out what I had to change to do things differently. You did it. And you're reaping the rewards of it now. And I, I'll sit here and I'll just give you an applaud because I, I think you've done a very good job in, in, in what, you've, what you've done, Ron. Thank um, you. We have to uh, get ready to sign off here. And uh, I try to keep this to a half an hour to respect our audience's time also. So, uh, Chris, I mean, Rod, I really appreciate you being here. And Rod and I would like to thank you, CEO audience, for spending time with us today as we had two CEOs having a simple conversation about CEO things. You know, the things that Rod shared today, I'm quite sure some of you found some nuggets in there you want to explore more. So please do. But anyway, we'll be back here next week. We drop a new podcast every week. Next week, we'll have another amazing CEO guest who has driven their company in excess of $3 million in annual revenue. So please feel free to come back next week and share some time with me and my next guest. I'm glad everybody was around today and look forward to seeing everybody next week. Bye now. Wayne Washington here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast. If you are a successful CEO of a seven-figure project-based client delivery environment and would like to be a guest CEO on the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast, please visit www.ceosecrets-execution.com and apply. If today you learn a tip or a technique to apply from my guest CEO, other CEOs would appreciate your sharing this episode on social media. To do that, just take a quick screenshot with your phone, then text it to another CEO or post that screenshot on social media. If you know of other CEOs who would be a great guest, text them and let them know about the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast. The CEO you are thinking about would appreciate you including a link to the scheduling website. That's www.ceosecrets-execution.com. We are regularly putting out new episodes. To make sure you don't miss an episode, go ahead and subscribe today. Remember, your thumbs up rating or a five star review goes a long way to help promote the show and would mean an awful lot to me and my team. Do you want to know more about my company, Grow Company Profits? Go to our website at www.growcompanyprofits.com. You can also follow me, Wayne Washington, on LinkedIn. 
Thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward to having you back for our next episode.